the universe had been trying to tell me, you need to set boundaries, you're not. And it took something really awful happening that I was like, oh, okay, I, I really need to like protect my family. This is one of my favorite episodes because it gives you an opportunity to see two therapists supporting each other. My guest today is Megan McKernan, an LCSW in the state of Maryland who owns a private practice called Clarity Wellness Solutions. She specializes in anxiety, depression, and ADHD. On her website, she says, everyone has their own trauma. What matters is how we deal with it. And today, Megan gets real about her own mental health struggles and shows us how to be a human first who pushes through her anxiety and traumatic responses to be a guest on the show today. It would mean a lot if you gave her your full attention. Enjoy humans, and thanks for leaving a kind review. Megan McKernan, thank you so much for joining the Human First podcast. We just heard a little bit about you as a professional with your bio. What can you tell us about you as a human? Hi, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Courtney. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Megan. I'm a human first. I'm 35 years old, Libra sun, Cancer moon. I'm a social worker. I'm a wife, sister, daughter, all the above. But I'm here today because I really want to speak my truth about my story, my history, why I'm here, why mental health is so important to me. I've struggled with anxiety since a very young child. And I was, I experienced emotional neglect. So I technically have CPSD, CPTSD, complex PTSD. And so I'm still kind of like grappling with that and just healing from that as I help my clients find their own clarity. Yeah. That's so huge. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, I think that told us a little bit about your why, but is there anything that you would add? Like why, why be a therapist? Why, why come on the show? Why share your message? Yeah. I, I feel really passionate about mental health. I feel like everyone has a right to it. Quality mental health. I feel like it's a right, not a privilege, despite how our country treats it. And I just, no matter race, gender, religion, socioeconomic status, sex, sexual orientation, age, anything, I just think it's something we all are entitled to and need. And of course, my own experience, my own experience with trauma, my history, suicide running in my family, all of those reasons are why I chose this field. Yeah. It sounds like there's like been a lot of pain, like a lot of struggle that like led you to wanting to help other people's pain and struggle. Yeah. hundred percent. It's such like a common story, you know, for therapists. It's so like whenever people say like, oh, I think my therapist is just in it for the money. It's like, it's really hard to sit across as a human being and listen to another human being's struggle because no human has not struggled. So like we're, you know, we sit there like with our training, you know, that's like, I think one of the good parts of like training to be a therapist is like learning that line, but it can be so hard when you've really struggled. This episode, we are talking about PTSD, CPTSD, mindfulness, and boundaries. And all of those things absolutely sound like two therapists having a conversation with each other. Right. But let's dive into like, what, what exactly are we talking about? There probably are some people listening who have heard the term PTSD or CPTSD, heard mindfulness, heard boundaries, but they don't know exactly what it is. And I'd love to hear, especially because I'm going to kind of be diving into your mind about these things. How would you, how would you define, or what do you think is important for people to know in terms of the symptoms of CPTSD and PTSD? So PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, obviously there has to be this trauma, this stressor. And I have the DSM criterion. I don't want to go too much into that, but 
I had it in front of me as a guide. But one of the, you know, the stressor being the main thing, the symptoms that follow it, the traumatic nightmares, flashbacks, all of that. And then, you know, avoidance, avoiding stimuli that trigger the flashbacks and everything, the hyper arousal, the, what is it, the alterations in arousal and reactivity, and then the functional significance. All of that, that's the very like clinical terms for it. But that, unfortunately, I've experienced all of those over the course of my childhood and life. But one thing I found to help me just in my like kind of as building my own practice is mindfulness. And so what is that for me? That's Mm -hmm. always just been like, get, get in the present, get still, get in the present, just listen, just listen to your body and just try to tune in and see what it needs. Cause I, after experiencing, you know, you know, PTSD, CPTSD, the autopilot that followed was, was really hard to, to kind of overcome and get through. And so mindfulness is one of the been has been one of the biggest things that has helped me just, okay, slow down. Like you don't have to just be busy all the time. Like you can listen to what your body needs and you can slow down and you can rest and you can like, it's okay to, to take care of yourself. I wasn't taught how to do that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. You dived into, into the the criteria of, of PTSD and, you know, yeah. And I like that. It was kind of like, uh, like, you know, I have the DSM out. We, we can talk about that. It's really like scientific, very clinically. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's important to know it's like, you have this, this traumatic event, which could vary from person to person in terms of what is considered to be a traumatic event. And then you avoid, anything that reminds you of that event and you deal with the physiological effects of that event and flashbacks and nightmares of that event and, and like blame, you know, like where you place the blame of what happened and why it happened. And all of that can be so taxing on the mind and the body. And that all that autopilot that you mentioned is like, that's when, you know, just our unconscious systems that were created from the trauma cause us to not really be conscious to what it is that we're doing. And that mindfulness that you mentioned is like, stay in the present, take a moment, pause, and kind of let yourself recalibrate so that you're not diving deep into the automatic trauma responses. So I love that. I really love that. And that's not something that's usually been talked about that often, like PTSD or trauma being recognized as like an actual thing, right? And and CPTSD is really Mm -hmm. acknowledging this new this new understanding of trauma. So could you talk a little bit about that? Like, what is the difference between PTSD and CPTSD and where, how does that inform where we are today with recognizing trauma? I had to do my, yeah, my own like research to try to decipher myself. Like what is the difference? And it it seems like the reason it's complex is that there really isn't this beginning and end. Like PTSD is so associated with like, you know, war, military, there's like, you know, very like beginning, middle, end, like triggered stressors, um, events, et cetera. And with something like childhood emotional neglect, or it's kind of just like all you know, that's, that was just all I knew. That's just how life was. There wasn't really beginning or end. That was just, you know, but I didn't know, of course, at the time I didn't know it. So when this all kind of hit me later in my adult life, it was like, wait, what? Wait, what do you mean? I what do you mean I have this? What do you mean I dealt with this? Like, I just thought that's how it was. So is this real life? That's why yeah. I said still, still dealing with that and coming to terms with that grieving process. Yeah. That's so important to recognize. 
and, and to say that you're still grieving and going through the process, because even I, I like how you were like, I, I had to kind of look it up to figure out what the difference was. And I feel like if I knew that I was going to be asked that question on a podcast, I would totally have to look it up too, because it's actually very complex, hence complex PTSD, CPTSD. But that's, I, I like where you described that, like your childhood growing up was basically just traumatic but you didn't really know because there was no beginning, middle or end. I can really resonate with that and totally align and understand that. And I feel like a lot of people today, they may be having an epiphany right now as they're hearing this part of our conversation. Like, wow, maybe I haven't been able to identify what I've been through as trauma because I know it as having a beginning, middle or end. And it's actually just been since the beginning and is still going onward. And maybe you always feel like you're in the middle. So I like that. It's a broadening and accepting and welcoming of other people's understanding of what it is that they could have gone through. I feel like we're, then this is the shift, right? It's like, we're changing, we're acknowledging like trauma is more than just going to war, like you said. And we're also recognizing, which Eastern cultures have recognized for so long and the Western societies, our societies are now trying to infuse that and understand it while, you know, they're whitewashing it and they're Westernizing it and they're not really understanding it, but we are at this turning point. And so what do you think about that? What do you think about this turning point in general of like acknowledgement of true trauma, acknowledgement that mindfulness is something that we need as human beings? Like, where are you at with all of that? definitely relieved because it's, it's like, oh, it's about time. This is something that like we've all been dealing with, whether we knew it or not. I mean, clearly I'll first to admit, I didn't even realize it, but we all have been dealing with some sort of trauma, whether it was one specific thing or an ongoing thing. Just the, the fact that a lot of the, I'm trying to say like trauma based research, you know, like childhood trauma centers, all of this stuff is like very 90s and early 2000s. Like that, you know, breaks my heart that it's, that's when this stuff started to becoming more researched and widespread when it's like, this is stuff that everyone's been dealing with for forever. Um, and thankfully, like we have mindfulness because mindfulness comes from, you know, Buddhist teachings and Buddhism has obviously been around forever, essentially. So we've had this tool all along, but we just, you know, didn't really know it until... I think very recently. So, yeah. And like the less technology, the less science, honestly, the less medical and clinical advancements, like, or less all of those things, mindfulness still existed. An understanding of how right. the mind and body worked still existed. But the benefit wasn't perceived in our country and in most developed countries for a really long time. And I think you're right about this just now being the time where. It's okay to say like, hey, there really is a mind-body connection. I mean, it's always been okay, but it's now okay in society. Like there is a mind and body connection. And because there's a mind and body connection, there are different types of trauma. And because there's different types of trauma, we now need to reassess what it means to have boundaries with other people. Before exactly. it was like, there's no emotions boundaries should be blurred. You should do whatever I say. And it's more an ultimatum. It's more controlling and it's significantly less understanding. And so it's very interesting, right? right? Like as our understanding of mindfulness increases, our understanding of boundaries increases, and then our understanding of mental health increases. And we're really yeah, at a precipice. Yeah. Like this is it, we're doing it. And me and you as therapists, having been through trauma, 
understanding mindfulness, learning boundaries. I should say learning mindfulness still, learning boundaries still, Mm -hmm. and learning the effects of our own trauma. It can be so hard to just exist really because then not only are you dealing with your own stuff as a human, but you're also trying to help people deal with theirs. So as a therapist that struggles or struggled, however you would like to define it and verbalize it, what does this look like for you? What did it look like then? What does it look like now? And what was it like to realize like I'm a therapist that's still struggling, but that's okay. Absolutely. Yes. So I was raised by yeah two boomers who that was the way was like, just do as I say you know, there's not really any sort of like listening or there's not really any emotional support, hence emotional neglect. Control your emotions, discipline your mind. That's all, that's all I knew. And then something happened in, in 2018 of just a traumatic incident. My, my parents had already been separated. They separated in 20, in divorce in 2012, but a very traumatic something happened in 2018. And that's kind of when everything hit me. And I had to go no contact with my father after that. Too many other things had been leading up to that. The universe had been trying to tell me, you need to set boundaries. You're not. And it took something really awful happening that I was like, oh, okay. I had a three and a half year old daughter at this point. So I was like, I, I really need to like protect her and my family and my husband and her. And I, yeah. So after that, I went no contact with him and I that's when everything kind of started to like hit me from childhood. And I started a really intense recovery process with like getting on different medication, getting into like, you know, weekly therapy, which was more than I had done before. And just really going back and exploring and just, I'll get more into, into that. But that, that was, that's when everything kind of hit me. And so ever since then, I've been trying to figure out how to continue to set boundaries while, you know, while recovering, I guess, if you will. And yeah, trying not to impart that on my clients. I'm very, very careful about, I don't want to just tell you to just cut somebody off. Um, that's not mm-hmm. what I'm, what I'm trying to do. And so I am very like mindful and cognizant of that. I'm, yeah. tr- you know, I really try to encourage boundaries, healthy boundaries, but it doesn't mean that has to happen. Right. That's, that's just what I had to do. So, Yeah. So were you already a therapist once like this thing happened and then you're kind of like more understanding of like what your childhood had been like? Were you already a therapist at that time? I was. I started, so I got my master's in social work in 2010 and I worked in foster care and then I worked in licensing foster parents. And then I started getting into therapy in 2013, late 2013 is when I started working at an outpatient mental health clinic and and then it was late 2018 that I started working part-time also at a private practice at University of Maryland, College Park, and started seeing college-age clients. That was so much fun. But I started, yeah, I was doing therapy with mostly children and adolescents okay. at that time. Yeah. yeah, which is, I'm sure that was difficult, right? I mean, you have an understanding of like mental health and like, sure, everybody has their ups and downs and we have our memories of what we've been through prior to becoming a therapist. So then we're like engaging in therapy and we're like, okay, I'm a therapist. You're the client. Like I kind of got my shit together to a degree and like, this is going okay. And then was there like, like, was it, you know, I guess where I'm going is like, 
when a medical doctor, let's say like they break their hand and they're a surgeon, right? Like they can't just go right back to work because their hand is broken. And that's more of like a physical thing. It's like, you literally cannot engage in what your job is, but for therapists, and there's like a magnitude, right? Of like mental health. So like we can experience like anxiety or a like depressed day or have like mild symptoms and still be able to push through. But when we have massive amounts of grief or we're having, you know, or we experience some type of trauma, sometimes like if it's really severe, of course, we need to pull out, we need to process. But other times it could be that we're not necessarily experiencing something as severe as like our brain breaking, right? So then we can't like, you know, analyze what someone else is doing, like, like a surgeon's hand breaking and we have to push through. We have to say like, we have to understand the level of magnitude where it's too much and we need to take time, but that's a thin line. And sometimes we can still be struggling and having to work with other people and their struggles. So what was it like for you to realize that you were experiencing or had experienced childhood trauma are still experiencing the effects of it and working with children at the same time? It was, it was so difficult. And that's when really... I think strong uh, work-life balance boundaries had to really come into play. I will I'll credit my lengthy commute at the time with helping me really clear my mind. <laughs> you know, going from work to home, I just I would just kind of like sit and stare. Obviously, I'm driving, but it's like all right, I'm kind of like meditating. It's my mindful driving in a sense, um, and that was how I would just like clear my mind from everything. But also after everything kind of hit after that like traumatic incident. It was like July of 2018. It was so funny. The timing of that, I w- I already had a pre-planned week-long vacation after this incident. It was just, again, really odd, the timing of it. But I was able to like take a week off and like from work, from seeing clients like after this and just be like, okay, you need to reassess, recalibrate, make a plan for how you are going to continue to move forward as a therapist, as a healing practitioner and while you're trying to heal yourself from all this. So yeah. Yeah. Thankfully I had that time to really just like reassess and like, okay, you're going to have a different plan here, like moving forward. Yeah. And we have to do that sometimes, especially as therapists, because we likely are going to experience something that's one of our clients is going through, right. Or that they may go through and we have to know when to pause. We have to know when to take a break. And part of that is being aware of what's going on within us, what's going on around us and how what's within us can be affected by what's going on around us. And that sounds like one of the many, many ways to describe what mindfulness is. And so mindfulness looks different for everyone. One example that I give sometimes is like, which I'm sure most people can expect listening to this is that I have some like weird ass yet relatable way to describe mindfulness. And I usually describe it as like, sometimes I can be being a total bitch in the moment to somebody and the mindfulness in that moment is just simply being an observer of me being a bitch in the moment. It's not necessarily like sometimes you can't stop the impulsivity. Sometimes you can't. And, and yes, that improves with time. The behaviors reduce in frequency and duration, but sometimes mindfulness is just observing what it is that you're doing and not necessarily changing it. And that, I feel like that's like sometimes a, a good way to describe that. It's not this quick fix. How would you describe And I don't really meditate or do most other mindful things that I recommend to other people. It's more so observing how I naturally am. But how would you describe what mindfulness is? What does it look like for you? And then what does it look like when you're working with clients? I agree. I don't always meditate as much as I 
recommended. A lot of times when I'm trying to just get quiet and listen, just take a few moments. I, I try not to make a big deal out of it because I want it to be more of a lifestyle thing, more of a like, I just do, you know, I'm just going to do this. It's not going to be something that I like have to like plan per se. And so even if it's just a few minutes here and there in between sessions to just like, okay, just like pause, just be quiet, just still don't feel like you have to rush. Because when I first started my practice in June, 2020, I was saying yes to every client and I was not really giving myself breaks. I was, you know, morning to night sessions back to back. And I just, yeah, I wasn't really taking care of myself. And so I had, that was something that I had to like, give yourself breaks, give yourself time to eat, take a breath, like all that stuff. So I wouldn't be able to get to that point if I wasn't just giving, like pausing a few minutes every day. And then also I think the, when I'm doing bedtime with my daughter, I lay with her and I'm trying to just like put her to sleep and not put her to sleep, but just lay with her as she falls asleep. And that's probably the most meditation I do like out of the day, basically. Yeah. I love that. That's so, that's so truthful about, about mindfulness. Like, and I think that part of the reason why people are so resistant to mindfulness can be the way it's defined or the way that it's described. Like mindfulness is the act of non-judgmental awareness of the present moment, engaging in A, B, and C and not being averted to X, Y, and Z. And people are like, what? Like, yeah, right. how does that work? And like, I don't get it. And instead it's like, maybe it's you having a mind observer watching you be a bitch, or maybe it's like laying down in your bed with your daughter as she falls asleep. And it doesn't have to look like, like counting all the things around you to like, see what you love about them or like paying attention to your body. Sometimes it's just being still in a place where you feel safe with no intention other than to just be still. I used to think people were like so embarrassing or stupid. And this was like when I was like a young teenager for like having the tattoo breathe like on their wrist or Mm -hmm. like having things on like their wall. I don't even know. I just used to think it was like, what do you mean you don't remember to breathe? Like you're alive, you know, but it's so different. It's like the mind needs breath and, you know, it needs a moment to pause, especially when we've been traumatized, especially when we're in that autopilot that you brought up earlier, which is just our mind and body functioning in survival mode. Yeah. And I did that for way too long. So now it's like, no, just, just pause. Cause yeah, I, I feel like I was just on autopilot first. Yeah. Even, even after I became a social worker and a therapist, I still was doing relatively like good with self-care if you will, but it, it still was way autopilot, I think. What was something that you like thought was self-care, but in turn, it was just autopilot and it wasn't really helping. So I mentioned my, my long commute. I, like I listen, I used to, you know, listen to like radio podcast music and I didn't really let myself be with my thoughts. Like until after that incident in 2018, like I, I thought, Oh, here's, you know, here's my, this is my time to just like chill, listen to whatever. But it was my way to like tune up my thoughts and where, like I had that, I had that, I had that time, but I didn't, I didn't want to like deal with what was, was going on, un, you know, unconsciously. So after that, I was like, no, you need to just be okay with being in silence on this, this drive home. So, yeah, I think something that that really pinpoints is that some coping skills can be good in one moment and maybe not good in the next. And it's almost being mindful of the intention. Because maybe it's intentional to play music on the drive home when you are emoting and you are feeling and it's a cathartic experience, 
but other times it could be the, it could be avoidance, avoidance of your thoughts, avoidance of your feelings. And so I really like that. That was a great example. Thank you so much. Thank you. We have talked a little bit about boundaries, but I definitely want to dive into them more. There's so many different types of boundaries. There's such a variety that we need when we've been traumatized, when we're trying to create this life around us where we are recovering. What are the different types of boundaries that are needed when it comes to healing from trauma and which ones have been the most helpful for you? So I guess physical and emotional boundaries, boundaries with yourself and with others. I guess that's, yeah, that's where I still have to kind of figure out. I feel like I've been very rigid with some of the boundaries that I have with some like family members, but it's just, again, it's just what I, what I've needed to, to heal for my, for myself. So I don't think it has to be permanent. Even if you have rigid boundaries at times, it doesn't have to be the way moving forward forever. So I guess I just wanted to highlight that. Like I'm, I guess open to flexibility and I I encourage my clients the same, like be flexible, but if you need to have more rigid boundaries with certain people than you do with other people, like it's okay. I don't know if that makes sense, but it completely makes sense. And I think you're dead on for people who don't know what we mean by rigid boundaries or flexible boundaries. What are like the different types of boundaries? Like what does it mean for a boundary to be rigid for a boundary to be flexible and or in the middle of that, right? For a boundary to be what I call and other people call it semi-permeable. So like sort of rigid and sort of flexible. What does that look like? What are those types of boundaries? So if it's rigid, then I feel like, so a definition of boundary, your, your limit. What is your limit? Your boundary, my boundary, what is my limit? If I can only handle talking about something, then I need to set a boundary around how much I'm exposing myself to any kind of content whether it's talking to somebody, look, you know, looking at media online, et cetera, that's self boundaries that again, I think I'm, that's what I'm still working on. But part of the self boundaries with other people, that's, yeah, that's what's helped me. It's like, I can't speak to certain people because they only talk about certain things that triggers my trauma. And so that's where I have to have rigid boundaries there. I know, you know, my limits, if you will, but flexible being like, okay, no, I can, maybe I can handle this now. Maybe I can speak to you. Maybe I can talk about this certain topic, but I'm going to talk about it with somebody else before I talk about it with this person. I don't know. It's kind of convoluted way of explaining it, but. Yeah, no, I think that was great. I mean, rigid boundaries are like, this is not coming into my life. This is my limit. Like the boundaries up kind of like a wall, like, no, like I'm not going there. Now's not the time. And it's you protecting yourself or protecting something that might happen in the future. And then, so that's rigid. Flexible is like, okay, so I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to talk about this either with you or with another person. And I'm also still not willing to do this or that or the other thing. And semi-permeable is like somewhere in the middle, I would say like, oh God, I don't have an example for that. Somewhere in the middle of the prior two examples. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And there's so many different types of boundaries. Like I think when we're healing from trauma, there's like, you mentioned physical and emotional boundaries, like physical boundaries can be like, I don't want to go to this place or I don't want to be touched in this way. And then there's like, you know, interpersonal boundaries, uh, like in terms of communication, you can talk to me about this, but you can't talk to me about that. And then there's emotional boundaries. Like when you, when I feel this way, because of something that you're doing, 
I now am going to do this instead. It's like guarding yourself, taking care of your emotions. And there's so many other ones. There's like financial boundaries. Like if you've mm-hmm. been like, if you've experienced like financial trauma, like if you're an elder or a child or a partner or just someone, it's like, then that's a boundary. Like, or I'm not going to talk to you about my finances or I'm not going to lend loan you any money or like whatever it is, we can really place boundaries in all areas of our life, particularly specific to what we have been through, what that, what that traumatic experience really was and the steps we need to take to put up the walls that we need to, to feel safe again, you know? What is it like to talk about being actively in recovery from trauma as a licensed therapist? You know, it's very nerve wracking, but it's also, it's healing. It's cathartic. You know, it's, it's all the things. And that's why I'm, I'm so happy and appreciative that you are letting me come talk to you about this today. Cause this is just having you validate all this has been something that's been helpful for me. I only started my Instagram account a year ago and you were one of the first people that I followed. And I was, I was just blown away about how validated I felt as a licensed therapist, social worker, who's, you know, been through some stuff and having you be so open about it and not afraid and not ashamed. And I think I was for a long time. And so it was just a breath of fresh air to be like, nope, there are other social worker therapists out there who have been through shit too and are still doing it. Are still seeing clients are still in the field kicking ass. So it was, it was so validating. And I feel like being, yeah, that whole like healing and community thing is, is just so helpful. So I think the more I talk about it, the better I feel as much as my anxiety wants to like tell me not to and to just avoid <laughs> and to isolate and no, just to stay in your little hole and you're and stay in your lane. But no, the more I talk about it, the better I feel. And the more I realize that I'm not alone and I'm not the only one dealing with this. And that has helped me so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And it's an honor to have you on. I think us telling our stories, like you said, healing in community, you know, one of the other really big therapists on Instagram is the holistic psychologist, right? And she has been on the podcast and she's started this self-healers movement. I think a lot of people misconstrue what she's trying to say about self-healing like she has a community of like thousands of people that self heal together. And it feels like that's a lot of what we're doing by sharing our stories, by being open. It's not even just that we're looking for other therapists that are traumatized and have gone through stuff and are going to keep going through stuff, but it's also expanding the mental health community out of just therapeutic professionals outward to community of all community of all people. So what if our clients see our pages? Like what if they do, then we deal with it. That's why we pay, you know, thousands of dollars to go to school to learn how to manage stuff like that, which is not that bad of a thing. If somebody finds out about your story, but it can be so healing to create this community of, oh, it's okay. She said that. And she was supported or she said that. And she or he or they were not antagonized or ashamed, like you said. And with what you do share online and with what you're sharing now, like, have you ever gotten pushback? Has a client ever mentioned anything or do other professionals say anything at all about what you're experiencing? Surprisingly, none of my, I don't think any of my clients have. I've only gotten a couple of messages that are like, 
oh, you're, you talk about boundaries. Like what, why are you doing that? Or like, I don't know, just yeah, kind of questioning and trying to like put me down about that, but not, mm. not too much about clients from clients. Thankfully, I don't know if not enough have found me yet. But <laughs> When you have like the information, like as a professional, it's kind of annoying. I kind of get annoyed because like for somebody to say something like that to you, like you talk about boundaries, yet you're like self-disclosing. It's like, do you know what boundaries like really are? You know, like, do you really truly know what they are? And perhaps your definition is different than my definition, but I don't think it really comes down to like, I talk about boundaries often. And so therefore I must fully emphasize boundaries at all times in my life always and live by your definition because that's what's in your head. It's like, it's yeah. less about boundaries and it's more about client care. Mm -hmm. Like, can a client be cared for by a therapist when the client knows that the therapist has been traumatized in the past? Like the fact that anybody thinks that the answer to that could be no, the client couldn't get help. Like, does it make sense? Because a lot of therapists have been traumatized. That's why they get into this work in the first place. And hiding our message only tells people that the professionals say, hide your message. If the professionals are doing it, we should be doing it too. And I feel like it per, like makes the stigma worse. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. And the stigma is what bothers me so much. Yeah, I part of my bio is I'm fighting this stigma one day at a time because I just, yeah, I just don't like it. But no, the more we talk about it, I think it lessens the stigma we need to. And that's why I was so happy to find this, this mental health community online. So I was like, yes, we're talking about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not the only one that feels this way. Like it's, it's just, yeah, it's been wonderful. So the more we talk about it, the better and the less, yeah, the more we can reduce that stigma. So, Yeah. Do you ever feel like, like I, and this is like a personal question, but I'm sure that like other people will benefit from it. It's like personal, meaning I would just love to know what your answer is. Sometimes I struggle. Okay. So I do this thing where I schedule my therapy with my clients after my therapy with my therapist. And like, I, you know, sometimes I do that. I'm realizing sometimes it's not good because then I find myself having to like whole withhold my true like emotionality because I need to have my shit together before I meet with a client. Sometimes I, out, even outside of therapy, prior to a client session, I'm feeling like really emotional. Like I'm feeling like, I don't know if I can show up fully present. And of course, you know, through trauma and association, it can be easy to just flip the switch. Now I'm a therapist. I can get my shit done sometimes it feels a little bit more difficult to do that because I'm a human being. What is it like for you? And, and I will say as a disclaimer for anybody who absorbs my stuff to try to find something that I'm doing wrong or unethical in moments where I know that I can't show up as I want to, I don't. And I reschedule, but for the moments where we want to push through, we feel like we're capable of pushing through, but we're still struggling. What is that like for you? Have you ever been there? And how did you sort of talk yourself into doing the session and how did it, how did it go? Yeah, I've definitely have had those times where I'm, I've had my own session and I'm just sobbing through it. A lot of, a lot of crying in my recovery period. And yeah, if I have a session afterwards and I'm, I'm like, oh gosh, okay. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Like my anxiety will totally try to talk me out of it. But usually I'm just like, okay, do the pause, do your mindfulness stuff, do your do the things, just take a breath and remember like, yes, you're human too. It's okay. And 
just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That mindfulness right before is so helpful. And again, it probably pauses your autopilot and it like brings forth the frontal part of your brain. It's like, let's get logical. Let's get interpersonal. Like we can do this. And then like, we can return to the survival emotional part of our brain. That's super activated right now. Post session with your client. Yes. I have to do so many positive affirmations for myself. That's one of my like biggest love languages. <laughs> I need a lot of positive affirmations. So just telling myself like, it's okay. Like it's okay that you feel this way, but like you can do this. Yeah. It's so important. I feel like oh, what we're doing in session with clients is like telling them like, take a moment, pause, positively affirm yourself and push forward whenever you feel like you can. I would take it even farther to say that like, sometimes it's okay. If you feel like you have a, your emotion contained, sometimes it's okay to show up and like, you know, some clients are always like, how are you? I highly encourage therapists to tell the truth. I mean, obviously the truth doctor, but like, that's really important. And, and, and I mean, maybe go around the truth. If you feel like if you told the truth, you'd break down or something like that in an inappropriate way. But sometimes like when the, when you're like, how are you? And like the client answers and then they're like, how are you? Sometimes mm -hmm. it can be helpful to be like, you know, I was definitely struggling earlier today, but I engaged in some mindfulness before this session. And now I'm really happy to be here with you today. It's like, even just saying that instead of like, I'm good. How are you? You know, it, it almost creates this false sense of like, well, you need to get to where I'm at because every time we're in session, you're not okay. And I am. And like, that's a problem. You know, that's why you're coming to me. Cause I got my shit together. And like, you need, you need to answer good every time. So I don't know. I feel like I would maybe encourage that too, is like, for any therapist listening or upcoming therapist listening, like one, we are two therapists that are traumatized talking about what it's like to balance our own mental health with somebody else's, especially a client, but also that like being honest and telling the truth about how you're feeling is in itself an intervention. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. And I, I do try to do that. Not as good lately, but I've, if I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed, like I will be honest, like, oh yes, I had a tough morning, you know, getting my daughter to school. The the stress of that is always, I'm always trying to like come down from that. So yeah, a lot of times I will say like, oh yeah, I'm going through it this morning, but like, yeah, I'm happy to be here with you. And yeah, I agree. It gets to me, it shows them that, yeah, we are humans first. We're not, I'm never going to show up as this blank slate. That's never was going to be my thing. So we are humans first and it's okay to show up as such, even as therapists. I agree. And it's almost a little bit like, ah, uh, maybe I'll get some stuff for this, but it, it's kind of privileged. I feel like to be able to show up as a blank slate, like some people just can't do that based off of what they've been through in their life. Like I, yeah, I agree with you. I could never have shown up like a blank slate. I didn't even pay attention to that shit in school when they like would tell you, like I paid attention to transference, boundaries, counter-transference, but like I never paid attention to like the don't like ever share who you are as a human being because like it just never made sense to me at my core. And it kind of sounds like that was the same for you. Yeah, it never made sense to me either. Because I, I wouldn't, as a client, I wouldn't want to show up to a blank slate. I want to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm a human who's gone through these things and I don't, I don't want to be judged. When you have anxiety, you don't want to be judged. And I would feel that way of, 
as a client showing up to a therapist who was just like, hey, hi, okay, go ahead, tell me your stuff. But it is going to bother you because you're human. And, and I was human. I am human still. Um, right. I'd be like, oh, my God, this person is going to think I'm crazy. Like, I, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a good experience. So, no, I've, within reason, I've always been honest about, yeah, I have trauma. I have anxiety. I have depression, you know, with my clients. And I think they yeah. appreciate that. Right. Because it's, it reduces the weight, the heaviness the darkness of it. And it's like, no, we're just here and we're going to talk about it. And I feel like CPTSD, PTSD, trauma, like it can tell us that it's dark and it's heavy and we shouldn't share it. And I mean, that's like, it's just such a thing. Like, I don't even know, like lack of professional ability to explain it. It is such a thing. It is. And such a problem. And there's so many myths about PTSD, CPTSD, trauma. What is one for you that you just want to tell the truth about today? You want to break it down and give people the real perspective that you feel like they should have about it? I feel like the biggest myth about PTSD is that you have to have been physically affected in some way. And I am proof that that's not the case. Witnessing something, hearing about something that's happened to a loved one, having someone close to you, or just not having your emotional needs met over the course of your childhood and development. It doesn't have to be physical, you know, it can be emotional trauma. That's, that's why it's complex. It's because of how invisible it is, if you will. So that was, that is definitely the biggest myth that I just wanted to speak to, speak about today. Yeah. And thank you for saying that. For people who don't know how the mind and body work, to feel trapped in your mind and body and feel like you can't label it for what it really is because what someone else's definition of that label is can be so isolating, so confusing and can truly like stunt healing and cause like really immense suffering that's completely avoidable. Like this extra layer of suffering of aloneness and misunderstoodness. And so Thank you for sharing and sh sharing that and shedding light on it. I really think it will resonate with the people that are listening. So back to you, Megan, 2018 revelation, something really intense happened. Now you're in this process, you know, maybe a year, year and a half, two years of recovery, then boom in a pandemic trying to manage that, probably more stuff coming up for your clients, more stuff coming up for you. Where are you at now? And what is next for you on this journey professionally or personally? So I'm still, you know, setting my boundaries and using mindfulness every day to gain more clarity on myself while I help my, my clients find theirs. I'm trying to be, you know, more I'm allowing myself to be more silly and playful. I'm allowed to celebrate wins, whether they're large or small. I'm allowed to disconnect from situations and people that might strain my mental, my mental well-being. I'm just like allowing myself to like live my life and like knowing my boundaries and like be present and be, you know, be happy, if you will. Just be content, not really happy, more content. That was always the goal. But yes, I'm a year and a half into my practice with clients and I really want to build my own mindfulness program. I really hope to do that this year. And 
one day write a book, that's like five-year goal. But I love that. Mean, in the meantime, strengthening the mindfulness. Yeah. Myself and everything clients. Well, we cannot have enough mindfulness programs. That's a for sure. I mean, they should be in schools. <laughs> so yeah, we're not honestly. You know, so yeah. It, but with that being said, thank you for being willing to make a mindfulness program, to continue to see your clients, to be honest about where you're at in your recovery, what it is that you've been through and the tools that have helped you. Where can our listeners find more about your story, find more about your perspectives on mindfulness and boundaries and just find you? (laughs) Yes. Um, So my website is claritywellness.com and I'm mostly on Instagram. That's where my hub is for all my content. And it's, it's just to raise awareness and to reduce the stigma. That's why I do my silly reels and all that, but Instagram at, at claritywellness.solutions and Twitter and Instagram as well. It's mostly just overflow from, or I'm sorry, Twitter and TikTok as well is in overflow from the Instagram claritywellness.com and at claritywellness.solutions is where you can find me. Amazing. Megan, thank you so much. We talked about like one of the biggest myths that you wanted to tear down when it came to trauma. What do you want our listeners to take away from you before they go and find you everywhere you just said they could? That it's so it's okay to be yourself and to live within your limits and your boundaries and to just be you and be your human self first. Mm. And with that being said, you are a human. So what is one unapologetically human thing that you do? We can see if any of our listeners do it too. So I'm really into fantasy football and sports (laughs) and pop culture and all that. So look, I like to watch reality TV and all that. So I am unapologetic about what I do in my downtime in terms of sports and pop culture. And yeah, I've won fantasy football twice. So yay. Oh, my God. I've never played, but I like have this desire, like deep desire to get into football because I just feel like it would be this outlet and it would be so much fun. So I might hit you up for some some tips and pointers (laughs) and reality TV. Oh, yeah. You know, we know. I know. Yes. We all know where I'm at with this. I love that you are there too. I just can't get enough of the trashy TV. And I, when I use the word right. trashy, because they, they want it to look like that. I'm not saying yes. the people in it or the behaviors, but the way they cut it and clip it and it's some trashy TV for sure. But I love that. Megan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for telling the truth. Thank you for showing up as you and for helping to push this human first movement and this new way to show up as a healer, license or not. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dr. Courtney. I so appreciate you having me on today. This has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Human First. Please subscribe, leave a review. It really helps with being able to keep this podcast free and share it on your social media to help spread the message. Tag me at the period truth period doctor. As always, I'm glad that you exist. See you next week.